Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, let me update you on a couple of things before we uh, dive in here. We, uh, a few weeks ago, now took, uh, just asked that we partner with Hope Partners International with the crisis going on in India and bring, help bring some relief there. And so we just asked Hillside to be a part of it. We reached the $40,000 mark this past week, which is a tremendous thing. And I just want to just thank you all for your generosity responding to that need. Kirk was really excited about it uh, when I talked to him this week. So he, he sent over just about a 60-second Uh, Thank you. So I want you to watch that real fast. Hello, my name's Kirk Dowry with Hope Partners International. And I think you know that at Hillside Community Church. Because you're not only our partner and sponsors, but you're our cherished friends. The gifts that you have given in the last 10 days have made a greater difference in India than you can possibly imagine. Rudyard Kipling wrote, India is the city of dreadful nights. During this pandemic, especially recently, the catastrophic events that are taking place are mind-boggling to those of us that, that live in America. But the money that you have given that will supply care, food, disinfectant, and hope is an expression of the Lord Jesus Christ more than any other church that has stepped forward to help us. And so I want to say to Pastor Pete, Gail, the entire staff and church, may God richly bless you for these little acts of compassion that your gifts have represented in a very desperate time. God bless you. We are Hope Partners International. So thank you, Hillside, very much. It's a real blessing. Uh, also want to let you know another way you stepped up. We also announced pretty seriously the need we have for volunteers in our children's ministry. Now that we have the space and potential for growth there, and many of you did step up. We have a number of new people involved, which was really helpful. So I want to say thank you to you. I was assured that we don't have everyone we need yet, but we have quite a few. And that is tremendous. So if you're still thinking about it, there's room for you. Also wanted to let you know something that might encourage you, may, may entice you. Uh, one of the largest group of volunteers we have in our children's ministry is our junior high and senior high students. And most of them have come through that children's ministry. So I want you to think about the impact that you have when you're serving those kids. They turn around and invest as well. So you really do make an impact. And I wanted to thank that, those, those students, and I also wanted uh, to just let you know that it's, it's a nice little reciprocal uh, way that God impacts those kids. They just can, you impact a kid in that ministry, they turn around and impact the kingdom of, of God as well. So... All right, so as I mentioned, we're in a series called The Good Life, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching uh, 
in Matthew 5, 6, through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we said, just to summarize the last few weeks, the heavens have been opened and we have been invited into God's life and into God's rule, which have become available through Jesus Christ. So eternal life, what it means to come into eternal life, what it means to be in God's kingdom under his rule is available to everyone. It's open to all, no matter how much you have or how much you lack. Confidence in Jesus and companionship with him ushers us in from anywhere and from any set of circumstances and any condition you find yourself. The kingdom is available to you. And the Beatitudes are Jesus' way of inviting. They essentially extend the borders to everyone and leave no one out and make the kingdom accessible. Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 11 to John the Baptist, remember, blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. If you associate with Jesus, if you connect with Christ, if you trust in him, if you put your confidence in him for life, then you're blessed. So there's no human condition that excludes anyone from blessedness. And there's no human condition that ensures blessedness. Only a relationship with Christ. So no matter what circumstances you're in, if you can let Christ into those, then you enter into God's life and rule and his kingdom. And we said that is the only indestructible life. It's the, it's the only way to be safe. Uh, we kind of looked at the Beatitudes. Here's Matthew's list, and here's Luke's list. Luke tends to be a little more sociological in his emphasis. Matthew, a little more spiritual in his emphasis, uh, but they're included in both. There's a, there's a spiritual idea in them, okay, a, a spiritual condition, and there's a sociological condition. You might be poor in spirit, but you really understand that if you're, if you're poor, if you're really poor, if you don't have any resources, you understand it a little better if you literally have no resources. So there's a sociological and a spiritual. Uh, and remember, Luke announces woes here. Uh, judgment on the rich, the full, those who laugh and those who are accepted by society, welcomed, popular, if you will. Um, and what we said was, just because you're poor, hungry, weep, or you're hated doesn't mean you automatically get in the kingdom. And just because you're rich, full, and laugh, and, and you're popular in the world doesn't mean you're automatically left out. But it's important, uh, and, and it might help if you understand that the rich, this group, thought these people were left out. And these folks assumed these people were in. And so Jesus just reverses the whole mindset. And it's very possible that your condition, while it doesn't determine whether you're going to be in or out, 
it can have an impact on whether or not you enter. Some people up here are really mad at the world. And so they don't want anything to do. They're offended by Jesus. And some people down here don't need Jesus. It's like, I don't need you in my circumstances. You weren't there in my circumstances. Here, I don't need you in mine. So any, any group can be out. So these are just sort of categories. None of them are categorically included or excluded. It's about association with Christ. So either any of these conditions can be an obstacle to getting in. But none of them have to leave you out if you're connected to Jesus. So we said these are not spiritual steps and they're not how-tos. They're just general categories of people, spiritually, sociologically, that represent, in many cases, longings and, and conditions of life. Every one of them have a hurdle to overcome in coming into the kingdom. But through Christ, they can get in. So we asked kind of a question last week that's on my mind that I'm going to want to spend a couple of weeks on, is what does it look like when all these different kinds of people are in the kingdom? You've got all these different kinds of people in there. And we'll look at the... Beatitudes, you know, at least enough to sort of get the idea of what Jesus is saying. So I've used some words that you might not connect to the Beatitudes, but they define sort of the condition of being in there, like popular and high-strung, loose, hated, uh, wronged, weepers, people who are full. Uh, so what, what does it look like when all these people are living in the kingdom? Because here, if you're in the kingdom, all of us are in there together in this rule. So what I want to do is sort of set up how to answer that question. Um, I'm going to do something here. Let's see if I can get it up. There it is. Everything went away. I don't know how that happened. Here we go. They're down here. It's down here. Can I get my list back? What do I got to do? Nick, how do I get my list back? Do you have any idea? I'm sure you do. So while Nick's coming to get my list back, I just couldn't write with that fat pen. It's too fat. That's still too fat. Help me out, Nick. I need a thinner pen. And I need to see all my slides. Is everybody okay? We're good? All right. Uh, Josh, add two minutes to my time, please. Add two minutes to my time. Can you get me back? It doesn't feel like This is what happens when you use technology. I turn this on because I'm using this now, which is very scary. And it all went away. So give it's me, gone? It's gone. Give me two minutes. 
Okay, so while he's doing that... You don't get to touch anything, ever. <laughs> he's mad at me. Uh, so while he's doing that, uh, let me say a couple things about uh, the slides that I'm going to show you. So the Beatitudes, there's eight of them. And the first one and the last one are in the present tense. In other words, it says, blessed, is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one in verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it says kingdom of heaven on both ends, and it's in the present tense, is the kingdom of heaven. Sandwiched in between them are the other six, and all of them are Second one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Their future. So sandwiched in between are all the future ones. What you have is two presents and a future. This is really important for understanding the Beatitudes. There is a future element to it. So when you look at people who are in the kingdom, hear this. They have a very, very strong future orientation. Without a strong future orientation, in other words, the kingdom that Jesus is offering extends all the way into the future. If to the degree, hear this, to the degree that we connect to that future and its promise, that's the degree to which you will live out the kingdom of God with freedom and without fear and joy now. Okay? Unless you grasp that, something that's really happened to me over the last, the months that I have been studying this is this feeling right here. And, and it does reorient you. It does change you deeply when you consider life in the future, the dimensions that are now. So here's what I want to tell you about that. That means some of the things that Jesus offers you, you experience now. And some of them await heaven. So when Jesus invites you into the kingdom, he expects that you're going to feel that blessedness now, but you're going to feel it in its fullest sense later. But you get some now. So there's a tension. I do sense the blessedness of the kingdom, but I'm also oriented to the fact that one of these days it will be full. So that's what we're talking about. Um, so let me tell you what that means. I'd rather show it to you, but I can't right now. All right? Nick's taking a little long, I would think. I think I, that's fair to say. Nick's taking a little long. So... Coming to Jesus then, get this, coming to Jesus then means that you begin to live forever immediately. You begin to live forever immediately. Eternal life starts the moment you connect to Jesus Christ, not when you die. Christianity is not offering you something that you get when you die. Jesus is offering you something you get now 
that comes to fullness has a full phase to it later. But you immediately start living it now. It's not simply a destination. It's a connection you make. It's a relationship you have. So what does John 17, 3 say? Uh, what is eternal life, John asks. This is eternal life, he says, that you know my son, Jesus Christ. To know him, to come into relationship with him, is to immediately begin to possess eternal life, an eternal quality of life that you, that you get some of now and the rest later. It's a quality of life that begins immediately upon putting our faith in Christ. So our future, this is what one writer said, our future, get this, this is, this is great, our future, however far we look, is a natural extension of the faith by which we live now and the life in which we now participate. Eternity is now in flight and we with it, like it or not. Eternity has begun for anyone who has met Jesus Christ. And so what happens in the future is connected to who I am now and how I live now and what my life is like now. So as I interact with Jesus, you say, what does that mean? So as I interact with Jesus and obey him, my life takes on the substance of, of, of eternal reality, of eternity. So my thoughts, my feelings, my willings, my doings develop. They materialize into things that are good, that are pleasing to him, that are lasting. And these are not generated or powered by anything material or physical. They're spiritual resources. It's a quality of life. We're always assessing quality. It's like we're obsessed with it. Everything we do, we ask, is it going to break? Will it last? How long is it going to last? Uh, so we want to touch it. We want to see it. We go, ah, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel good. So we want to know if it's going to work and if it's going to last. Uh, I was just recently in, uh, in a store with my son who's needed to buy a refrigerator Asked me, thank you, sir. Asked me, yeah, he deserves that. That's better. <laughs> Sorry about that, Nick. Thanks for coming through. Um, so we, we were looking for a fridge, and you know, sometimes you're in a store and you're like, you just wish you could talk to some expert on refrigerators because you know you know nothing. There's 400 brands, all different prices. They all look different. You're like, who knows which one of these is going to last forever? <laughs> right? You're like, which one of these is going to last forever? And so we found a lady who uh, worked there and was very enthusiastic, very knowledgeable, and very willing to do. You know, you felt like she really cared about the refrigerator you were going to buy. And so we went looking around, and she said, this one's more expensive. It's the same brand. I would go with this brand. Here's the reason. I just bought one myself, she said. And she said, uh, it's not as much money as this one, 
but it lasts longer. We deal with it all the time. So she's explaining things to us. By the time we were done, we, were, we felt really good about the one we bought. Uh, you'll see it in heaven. It'll be in heaven. That fridge. <laughs> so it's a, it's got a, there's a quality of life to it. Uh, and that's what, here's what Jesus basically is. He's the enthusiastic, joyful, knowledgeable, with infinite wisdom, guiding you into the kind of life that has the substance of eternal quality. When you connect to him, he's constantly showing you, nah, that's not the good stuff. Come over here. Oh, it's high priced, but it's not, but it's not going to last. So we need somebody in our life constantly doing that for us. When, you, when you're a disciple of Jesus, you're constantly asking him, does this have quality? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I think this way or not think this way? Should I relate this way or not relate this way? Show me quality. So because he has opened up God's full world to you, it's all open to you. You can know the answer to those questions. And you have ultimate context because it's open, because it is future. So when we look at this slide here, so here's, my, here's the picture I was drawing for you, the, the present and the present and the middle is the future, and it extends out this way. So we, we have this future focus. And because we have that future focus, we're not just making decisions in the present, we have a broader context by which to make decisions. We're not just thinking about decisions for today. We're making decisions that impact forever. That's what Jesus invites you into. So you make decisions, you relate, you, in, you interpret your circumstances based on a broader picture. If you don't have Christ in your life, you can't interpret your life based on all of that. Based on forever. And so what Jesus is saying when he invites you into the kingdom is now you have forever to think about. You have forever to think about. I read an article a couple... I don't know, I think it was, it was not very long ago um, by Jason Romano on, on Mickey Mantle, uh, who lived a very hard life, played for the Yankees, you probably know, and, um, but he lived a very hard life and drinking sort of ruined his life. He played hard and he lived hard and um, eventually died of diseases caused by alcohol. And... Um, he was 63 years old when he died, but he's famous for saying this. If I had known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. I want you to think about that for a second. Because Jesus is saying you're going to live forever. If you're going to live forever, what kind of care should you take of yourself? What should your life look like in light of the fact that you're going to live forever? See, if your life is going to end at 63, you might live it a certain way. But if your life is going to extend into forever, certainly that impacts how you do life, doesn't it? How you think about life. 
So how do we live in light of the fact that we're going to live forever? Because we're essentially, Jesus is saying, I'm going to teach you how to live an undying life. I'm going to teach you how to live a life that goes on forever. It's quality. It has a substance that you're not going to find anywhere. It's not made of physical material stuff. That is the kind of life we want. What does Matthew 7 say? I don't know if I put that verse up here. I don't think I did. Let me check. Yeah. That kind of life, when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and beat on that house, it doesn't fall. Because it's been founded on the rock. Now listen, this is all the now. All the, all the, the rain and the floods. And this, it's all beating on us now in the present. How do, you, how do you withstand that now? Like in the now. How do you withstand that? Jesus is saying, well, if your life is built on me, the rock, what I say, if you're doing what I say to do, if you're following my words, which is constantly introducing you to the stuff that's quality, then, it, then nothing here can break it. And it'll, and it'll extend all the way into the next life. That substance, there's, there's some kind of house, even though it's not a real physical material house, there is some kind of house that you and I represent and have. That's our life, is a house. It's got substance, but it's not material. But it withstands things and it lasts forever. That's what Jesus is inviting you into. See, if it lasts, if it has quality, then we would say, wow, that's, that is quality if it's going to last that long. So one of the worst things you can say about something is it has no future. Okay? You've mumbled that to yourself about your kids? <laughs> no, you have. I don't know what we're going to do, hon. Or you, you say it has no future or there's no future in it. So... An endeavor. You go, what's the, there ain't no need to do that. So we attach meaning to future. This is essentially what Jesus is trying to do here. Because these people have built their lives out of materials that are quality and are lasting, they have an eternal quality of life. Now, what I want to do is spend the next couple of weeks asking the question, what in the world does that look like? When you look inside the kingdom and you see all these people building with materials that the rest of the world is not building, what does that mean? I think we need to get our hand, arms around that before we get too far into, the, uh, into this. So, let's see. We, we can do this here. Here's what I want to say about these folks who are in this. All the different kinds of people that are in this. Uh, they are dependent, humbly, let me put it this way, humbly dependent on spiritual resources for their existence. 
All of them have a different amount of resources. But none of those physical material resources got them in. And because none of them got them in, they do not rely on those, whether they have them or not. So the ones who don't have them aren't desperately seeking them, and the ones that do have them know that they're an illusion. So if you're in the kingdom, you can live either way. They're dependent on spiritual resources. So last week we used the illustration of electricity, defining the kingdom as electric as electricity coming, you, you know, your town, the wires, and all you have to do is plug in. All you got to do is connect to it, make arrangements to connect to that. That's what these people have done. And they use a different resource for living than everyone else does. Uh, we were at the movie theater uh, with the Wakefields Friday night. And uh, when we got out, it was late. And so you, you could recognize there was only a couple of cars in the and in the parking lot. And I saw, for the first time, I saw for my first time a car, you know, one of maybe five in the entire massive parking lot, plugged into the electric thing. I go, I've never, I've never stumbled on a car with that thing plugged into it. And I'm standing there, and the people are standing around waiting for that thing to charge. And I was like, I don't know, I had a lot of funny things that I wanted to say. <laughs> a lot of things that I thought of. But at the end of the day, I was saying to myself, all the other cars in this parking lot operate on a different power source. They get their energy and power some, way, some other way. This guy has to get his that way. That's how people who live in the kingdom, they are plugged in to a different power source. They use different resources for how they handle all of the issues of their life, when they're laughing, when they're hungry, when they're high-strung, when they're loose, when they're hated, when they have everything they need, when they're popular, they all rely on the same resources. So none of these become the essence of their life. They're not determined and defined by any of these because it's not what generates who they are or how they live. They have a different resource. Remember when Jesus said this to his disciples when they were hungry and they went into town to get lunch in John 4 and he had to go, he had to minister to the, the woman at the well. They come back with all this food and they say to Jesus, how come you don't want any food? You know, I'm not. Jesus says, I, I have food that you know not of. I am nourished in a way that the rest of the world is not nourished by. That's how people who live in the kingdom are. They have different resources. So whether, so let's talk about that. So whether you're rich or poor, whether you're happy or sad, all of life is dependent on spiritual resources. Not what they have or do not have. And so when I say they're dependent on spiritual resources, because God loved them, they don't look funny on each, on each other. The rich don't look down on the poor. The poor don't look up to the rich. Because everybody got in on the same merits. None. Everybody got in on the same resources. None. And so when we talk about life together and spiritual resources, here's what I mean by that. We're not propped up by people. We're not propped up by position or possessions. 
They don't drive this group. You might have them, you might not have them. If you don't have them, you're not seeking them. And if you do have them, you know how to release them. They don't, they don't make or break you. So the ones who don't have it are not impressed or intimidated by those who do. I'll tell you a really good litmus test. I, I took it this week. I failed. I failed it. It was a little thought test. How impressed are you by those who have 10, 20, 30, 50 times more than you have? How intimidated are you by people who have far more than you? It'll give, a, give you a feel for how you really see yourself and your possessions. And people in this kingdom do not see themselves through that lens. So they don't fight, scratch, and claw to get it. Because they don't depend on things and deals and, and, and try to control all of life. They live in this life, and they have to do things. We all have to do things. But they just become less and less caught up in it. And so the people in the kingdom, despite their circumstances, are less desperate. I know rich people who are desperate. Do you know any rich people who are desperate? They're never satisfied. And it's just sort of an inherent problem. The more you get, the more you want. It, getting more doesn't solve the problem. And so you understand it. And I got to tell you, it's a, it's, a, it's a horrible burden to have. What would it be like to be rich and not be desperate? What would it be like to be poor and not be desperate? That's what Jesus is offering. So I don't care what you have right now. I'm asking if you're desperate. Because it would say something. You don't really have, you're not really living out of resources and you don't really have a future orientation that says none of this stuff matters anyway. You just don't have that. I'll never forget one of the, one of the stories I read years ago that really resonated with me on this topic uh, it's always been a picture in my head. I guess it's been 25 years ago I read this book. And it's, uh, it's one of my top ten that I keep in my library that I'll never let go and I'll reread every now and then. And Joan, he, uh, the author quotes Joan Chittister, who was, uh, who was just a writer, wrote a, a number of little things. She had a devotional kind of a thing, Wisdom for the Daily. And uh, she had done some study on the monastics. And I'll never forget reading this. She recalls a time uh, when a great army invaded a country and just created a path of destruction, took whatever they wanted from everyone. But their greatest wrath was reserved for holy people. And so the, monast the, you know, the monasteries were just pummeled and the monks were tortured. Um, 
And she writes this story. She says, when the invaders arrived in one of the villages, the leader of the village reported to the commander, all the monks hearing of your approach fled to the mountains. The commander smiled a broad, cold smile, for he was proud of having a reputation for being a very fearsome person. But then the leader added, all that is but one. The commander became enraged. He marched to the monastery and kicked in the gate. And there in the courtyard stood the, stood the one remaining monastic. The commander glowered at the figure. Do you know who I am? The commander demanded. I am he who can run you through with a sword without batting an eyelash. And the monastic fixed the commander with a serene and patient look and said, And do you know who I am? I am one who can let you run me through with a sword without batting an eyelash. I've never left, it's never left my head. I go, that's the kind of freedom and fearlessness people who have forever in their back pocket have. They're not desperately protecting anything because nothing can take anything. Rains can come, storms can come, winds can beat down. They're not going anywhere. Do you live like you're not going anywhere? That was a very convicting thought to me. Uh, they just have different resources. They're just living out of... This commander thought, if you, if you live out of physical material resources, you'll be scared of what I'm about to tell you because I'm about to take all your resources away. You can't survive. And this guy's about to say, you can't take what I need to survive away from me. C.S. Lewis said this, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. That's what it is with these people. They have God. It's all that they need, and it makes them all equal. So another thing that these guys depend on, these people, here, is they don't depend on evil to survive. So they're dependent. They have spiritual resources. It's not stuff, but there's something else. They don't, they don't, they don't think of sin as the only way to get by in life. Like some of us actually believe you got to take revenge sometimes. That's how we live. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to show you the quality of that is not very good. Some of us believe that the only way to get through life is to lie a little. You got to disregard truth sometimes in order to get by in this world. And Jesus comes in and says, no, we don't, that's not quality. Jesus just comes in and just constantly shows you you don't have to sin. Some of us think we have to actually violate our consciences in order to get by. Well, people who aren't worried about whether or not they get by because they know nothing can take them aren't trying to do anything they can. Not desperately seeking things, and they're not desperately acting in a way to get those things. So they don't rely on manipulation. They don't rely on anger. 
They don't rely on arrogance. They don't rely on cheating. They don't rely on greed to live life. They do not believe for one second that this world is all there is. And because of it, their house is on a rock. So let me just wrap, let me say this. Let me put this together for you real quick. Because I love this thought. I love this thought. Nothing is the end of the world for them. Nothing is the end of the world. They leave all the results to God, and they count on him in all their circumstances. It's not the end of the world if they don't like me. It's not the end of the world if I don't have it. It's not the end of the world if I don't get it. It's not the end of the world if I don't see it. It's not the end of the world if I don't make it. That's how they live. Wouldn't that be freeing? How many times have you said, oh, my gosh, if it doesn't happen, it's over. It's all over. Everything's gone. How many times have we say that a day, a week? It's exhausting because we really believe that if we don't get it or have it, it's the end of the world. The whole Sermon on the Mount is about, that's not true. <laughs> Nothing is the end of the world. Not losing your health, it's not the end of the world. Not losing your youth, it's not the end of the world. Nothing is the end of the world. Knowing, Jim, knowing Jesus eliminates the, the entire discussion about whether or not you're going to survive, because you're going to survive it all. You're going to survive cancer. Did you know that? I don't know if believers really know that. So we're deathly afraid of it. And with good reason. But you're going to survive that. You're going to survive the loss of anything valuable to you. Do you know that? You should live like it. We should live like it. I should live like it. That's what the kingdom is. Because we live out of different resources. So we're going to come to the table here. And, and that's as far as I want to go today because that's, that's enough of a beating. Is that enough of a beating for you? Let me ask you this. Uh, so as you come to the table today, let me ask you this question. Are you feeling desperate? What are you desperate about right now? That you don't know if you're going to see, have, make, get. Something has become the end of the world for you. It'll be the end of the world if she, it'll be the end of the world if he, What's the end of the world for you? It's a great way to take the entire message of the Sermon on the Mount and bring it right home to say, there is no end of the world for me if I make sure that I'm living a life that is made up of eternal quality. So has that desperation caused you to act really in some unhealthy and unholy ways? Are you being unhealthy and unholy because you're desperate because the end of the world is right around the corner? Jesus has just lifted the lid off the world. There's no end to it for you.
and for me. So that's why we come to the table. We come to the table. This could be that last storm, by the way. It could be the last one. This is why we come to the table. Because it settles us down. Don't you need to settle down? How many of I said to you, settle down? You'd go, hey, I really need that. Settle down, folks. I heard that this week. Settle down. It's not the end of the world. So we come to the table because we know at the table, Jesus reminds us, this is the reason we do it, is resources are available to us that the world knows not of. You're the funny car in the parking lot with some weird thing sticking in it. That's who you are. That's who we are. So Luke twenty two fifteen 15 says this, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table with the apostles, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he's about to, it, it, it's the end of the world for him. Looking at it just purely physically, it's the end of the world for him. He says, eat this. For I tell you, I won't eat it again until the kingdom is fulfilled. The future, the kingdom. So I want you to eat this now. But one of these days, Jesus says, after he took the cup and he broke it right there, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In other words, one of these days, we will sit down and eat again in a fullness around a table that you will be... All that you will need will be provided for you in a way. There will be only spiritual resources one day. Right now you've got material world you've got to live in, but, and you get some spiritual resources to do it. But one of these days, there won't be material in the world at all. We'll all be living depending solely on spiritual resources. And Jesus is essentially saying to the disciples right now, I want you to have these spiritual resources. They're nibbles right now. I know they're nibbles right now, but they're enough to get you through until one day we're going to be in heaven together and we will only survive on the stuff I give you. But you can survive on the stuff I give you right now. You can, we can. We don't have to be desperate and see the end of the world. Hillside, that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus is inviting you into. How are we not desperately running into this? 